Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. One of the keys to, like, maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. There's a healthy industry of books and online tutorials claiming to teach you the secrets the pros don't want you to know. Like there's this collection of cheat codes that us normals don't have that won't allow us to perform at the highest level. I guess it depends on the activity, but more often than not, the insider secrets aren't anything other than applied common sense. But in the case of running, I feel like there really is a few trade secrets, but rather than the athletes hiding them. They just regard them as normal and haven't ever thought that these potions, rubs, bams and ointments are worth telling anyone about. I mean, today, as usual, I'm joined by Irish athletics legend, my coach and yours, Sonia Sullivan with her loyal dog, Winnie, to find out what those things are for her. And am I right, Sonia? Am I right that on, on this particular issue, a lot of these things are just things that athletes just go, sure, you can get that over the counter. Why would why would that be a big deal? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are things that we tend to collect as we go along. And, you know, you might have an ache or a pain or, you know, something that you just need that little bit extra and you go in search of it and you use it for a little while and then you put it aside and then you, you know, find something else. And, and then if you do kind of go or you're reminded of these potions or someone you mention it or you go to look for them and you pull them all out and you think, oh, how have I got so many of these things? <laughs> you know, and it's a lot. I mean, so this morning, actually, <laughs> when you sent me a note and said, what's with all these magic potions and creams and, you know, things that you believe kind of make a difference if you have a bit of an ache or a pain or a muscle soreness that you want to, you know, you do a bit of self-massage. Um, so I went and I pulled them all out and, you know, a lot of things I kind of forget about or I hadn't used for a long time. So then I use them all, you know, <laughs> in one night. a little bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, after my run this morning, I, you know, I was putting a little bit of uh, Arnica on here and there and a bit of the anti-inflammatory gel, a bit of um, heat cream. Yeah, don't don't know, don't give it all away, Sonia. We've got to tease this a little bit because I know emu oil makes an appearance in there as well. I know emu oil. I was like, what the hell is this crushed up emus <laughs> made into a fine oil? And I can't wait to find out what exactly it does. So we will get to a few of these potions, rubs, bams and ointments that athletes take as normal, but we normals don't know about later in the show. We'll also 
talk about Sonia's Lent event that we teased last week, uh, an event that will run for uh, 40 or in preparation for it with a 40 days and 40 nights of being good to see if that impacts on your personal best time of no doubt it will. But I want to get to this first. Uh, extensor tendonitis is the most Googled words on my phone this weekend. Who knew you could injure yourself by tying your laces too tight? Like I remember Gaza, I remember Paul Gascoigne got himself a groin strain getting out of bed. Now that made sense. But honestly, Sonia, tying my laces too tight up, it seems like this is what I did to myself. I tied the laces too tight on the left shoe and now I, I have this, you know, sharp, daggery pain into the top of my foot. And apparently it is extensor tendonitis and it's quite common in people that wear Nike Pegasus. Yeah, well, when you mentioned it, extensor tendonitis, I actually had to go and look it up myself. But then when I saw what it was, I said, oh, right. Yeah, I've had that. You have had this before. Have you had it like, is it something that you had bad? Is it something that you've recognized from the early part of your career? Or is it something that happens once or twice and then goes away forever? Yeah, it's one of those things that happens every now and then. Maybe if you change your shoes or I don't know if you ever do this, but often if I go out for a run and depending where I've tied my shoelaces, like sometimes if you're driving and um, I don't know if many people do this, but you tie your shoelaces while you're driving in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a circus trick. <laughs> when you're running late, you know, and you're at the traffic lights and you're tying your shoelaces. <laughs> OK, so not while the car is moving. <laughs> I mean, that, that no. that's what I immediately thought. But you tie yeah. and you tie the laces to one side. Is that what you mean? Well, you just tie them because you just want to jump out of the car and run. And um then, you know, you're in your run for about 10 minutes and you actually have to stop and tie your laces because they're a little bit too loose. They're not quite right. So if you do this over and over again, then sometimes you might just tie them too tight. It could also be like if your socks are very thin and you're tying the laces too tight and then maybe where the knot is in the lace is rubbing against your foot while you're running. And it's just an aggravation, a bit of a yeah. thing that happens over time. And I suppose if you tie your shoes in exactly the same spot every time and there's that little bit of pressure, uh, sometimes one of your feet might be a little bit wider at the shoelace tying section than the other. And if you tie them both really tight to be secure on there, then you, you do get this problem. And, you know, sometimes I suppose some people would be affected by it more than others. I suppose if I got something like that now, I would be straight onto the ice would be my thing because ice is kind of the number one answer to everything hmm. and then a bit of um self-massage i'd be using some heat cream something with a bit of deep heat in it just things that you kind of feel like you're doing something to to speed along the injury to to make it better yeah, yeah the ice yeah. the ice is obviously number one and it did i did do that and i you know there is this thing in your head and we as we get to the potions later you are thinking there must be something Sonia does that makes this go away faster because everything else I read is just saying, look, you're going to need to not run on this for a bit. And my next thought is losing any bit of cardio fitness that I have. So before we get to 
the bits and pieces that you've accumulated over the years to aid the recovery of these nagging little bits and bobs that everyone has. Eleanor Tiernan got in touch to say you're not really a runner until you have a weird injury that has a a, a Greek name. Uh, <laughs> it's it's true. I, I I know that this is part and parcel of the deal. It's it's what you signed up for. But there is a concern immediately, especially when you're not really running that long. I mean, September is not that long ago that I wonder any progress I've made could be reversed. And that is probably why so many newish runners get themselves in trouble because they go, oh, God, I can't I can't lose my fitness by taking time off for a silly lace injury when, in fact, that's the that's really the only answer. But in the meantime, Sonia, how do I keep my cardio up? What are cardio alternatives that I could use to keep uh, my fitness up? Yeah, well, I think what we would call it, or we, <laughs> we the experts, <laughs> those, who run, those who've run for a long time and have had many injuries down through the years, would be cross-training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cross-training is like, I suppose, anything other than running. And then, you know, when you have a foot injury, obviously it's got to be not weight bearing. So um, you have to find what you can do, I suppose, alternative methods of training. And then, yeah, there is always a panic that you're going to lose fitness and, you know, nothing really quite matches up to that feeling and the endorphins and energy that you get from running. And when you have your training program, you want to stick to it. So, like, I suppose you have to think about it this way that, if you're going to do some cross training because you can't run, then you have to look at why why you're going to do it. Like, why are you doing this? Well, mentally and physically, you probably need it. Um, but then you really have to think about, you, you know, you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. And you're not trying to be better at any other sport, whether it's cycling or swimming or we'll go through another a few different things and options here in a second. But you're looking at improving your cardio or maintaining your cardio really yeah, absolutely um improving improving your cardio would be if it was a long-term injury but if it's just for a few days you know even a week you know you're really just trying to maintain your aerobic capacity and your endurance and your fit your overall general fitness and you know i suppose people really panic because they kind of think oh i've got if i'm doing something else i got to do it at a really high intensity but maybe it's a good time to have a bit of a down week in terms of intensity, but an up week in terms of looking at areas that you could possibly strengthen, areas that you don't have time to do because you're always running out the door and you're back in and you don't have time to put in those little extra bits. So you can focus a bit on your weaknesses. And what you need to do is you take the time that you would normally take to go for your run and you'd be as productive as you can with that time and fill it with, you know, other stuff. And, you know, it's difficult, I know, in the wintertime and I know there's a lot of the gyms are closed at the moment. So you have to look around and think, OK, well, what have I got at home? What yeah, can I was, use here? That was the first thing I was going to say was that loads of people be listening to this going, yeah, I can sense a gym coming into the picture here, but they're so... They're, they're so far away, just even the idea of being on a sweaty cross trainer or bike that, you know, it's also minus seven degrees as I look out the window here and the snow falling uh, outside London. 
it's not really the greatest time of year to be thinking I'll do some home workouts. You're on top of yourself. You just half the reason loads of us are running is because we get out the door, get away from it and feel like you're moving. I guess we are looking for alternatives to what people would normally do in this situation, right? Yeah, and we've got to look at something that you can do at home. And maybe you can do some of this outside in a sheltered area, you know, that's relatively dry and not a slippy ground. And, you know, if you can if you can walk pain free, then you could walk to, you know, a local park or where there's a pavilion with a roof over or something. And it just gives you a little bit more purpose to what you're going to do. And then you focus on, okay, I'm going to try and strengthen some muscles here now around the area that is sore. And hopefully if I can build up those muscles, then when I start back running, then they'll support the weak area for a little bit longer. Because the thing is, when you do start back running, you're still going to feel a little bit of pain for a while. And this is when you have to weigh up, you know, is this tolerable pain? Is it is it real pain or is it just kind of, I'm not 100% yet, but it's manageable and I'll be okay. And so by strengthening other muscles, then you can help to speed the recovery of the soreness or the injury that you have. And so that's the kind of three things that you look at is, you know, what you're trying to do and what are you trying to get out of the cross training? And that all depends on what what you can do physically. Um, and, And then you have to create a program around the time that you have. Think about strengthening the muscles of, you know, around your feet, probably even like I think you could probably work on things like your your hamstrings and your glutes and your core, you know, areas that will help to carry you better. So then it'll take the load off your feet because if the big muscles up high in your body are not helping to carry you along, then your feet are taking a lot of pressure. So you need to take the the pressure off them. And then in the process, by having this positive kind of feeling of doing something and being practical, you help to speed the recovery of the injury anyway, because you feel like you're doing something positive and something helpful that you're not going to lose that much fitness along the way. Fantastic advice, Sonia. Like, I mean, even just the way you're putting it makes me go, yeah, that that makes 100 percent sense that just mentally aiding the recovery in that feeling of avoiding that feeling of, well, I guess I'm now just watching telly this week. If there is a purpose and a method and a means of thinking, we're we're working on shock absorption here. So I'm starting to feel like uh, and I know I speak for a lot. I get a lot of guys getting in touch going, I'm a big unit like yourself, Jarlath, and I know that my joints take the impact too much. This is essentially working on your shock absorbers. Yeah, it is. And working on like small muscles that you don't even know they're there half the time, you know, because Mm. they get ignored while everything else is out there, you know, putting in the hard effort. And, you know, just like someone said to me one time when I was swimming, they said, yeah, you're going to do it and you're able to do it because you're determined to do it. But you could be much more efficient if you learned how to do it properly and you learned how to be more just get the techniques right and so this is where you can build up a little bit on the the technique of running that we've spoke about before mm-hmm. and just thinking about the motions that you're doing as well yeah i know i had a thing myself there last week my back was a bit stiff and 
I was kind of saying, oh, it's a bit tight. I need to sort it out. And then I spoke to a friend of mine in Cove and he said, oh, I'll, I'll give you a, a call there, a video call. And um, we'll do a few exercises. And they were like on the ground exercises, but in the motion of running and very, very kind of specific small exercises. You, you know, you barely break a sweat doing them. But there was a, I could feel the difference the next day just because it was something that you just focus specifically on isolating, you know, muscles that will help you to be stronger and to, to run better. So is the best thing here? I mean, this all sounds fantastic and this sounds exactly what I need, especially uh, in this. Absolutely. We're getting a proper bash of cold weather here and that this may just be a blessing in disguise and trying to turn a negative into a positive is is the challenge often when we have these niggly injuries. Is the best thing, Sonia, for you and I to post a little, uh, you know, one of your little sketch pads on your fancy paper <laughs> listing of a few <laughs> exercises that'll work? You're laughing because you do love fancy paper, Sonia, it has to be said. Your collection of fancy paper has been noted by the members of the Strava group and people want to see more of it. Uh, so will you do up a little one, a kind of an all purpose workout for when you're in the position that I'm in? A niggly little injury that doesn't require a huge amount of rest, but just those nigglers. And we all know the injuries I'm talking about. They're, they're the ones that you get no sympathy from your partner for. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, I can do that. And, uh, you know, so that will be the kind of low key stuff. But then I think one other thing that you can do, and I can write this up as well, because I love doing this, is um, circuit training. OK, because great. the thing is, you, you want to get hot and warm and get your heart rate up as well. So it's really great to have a little circuit that you can do at home or, you know, as mm. I said before, if you can if you can bear walk into the local park or somewhere that's sheltered. You know, it's, it's it's kind of a bit of a challenge to source something out like that, even. Mm. I'm um, thinking to the spot right now. I'm thinking to the spot right now. It's where Mikey goes to play lightsabers at night. It's a little sheltered and it's not even like uh, a, a weird under the bridge spot. But there are these sheltered spots and a place that you can do press ups and uh, burpees and stuff like that. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. And like where I see a lot of people around here, you see these personal trainers, you know, they normally have them sourced out before anybody. <laughs> um, so often when I'm out in my run, I'm looking for like, you know, a little spot that I can go to that will only have one person in it. <laughs> so then they can't have groups of people in their training. So you can find your own. Yeah, brilliant. So it doesn't spot. even need to be massive. Right. Well, we'll do that. Uh, if you are not a member of the Strava group yet, you really should be. I know that some people aren't mad keen on sharing all their activities on there but you can set it up that way you can be as private as you like just the same as any of these platforms but it'd be brilliant to have you a member of the Irishman running abroad Strava group that's over on strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman running abroad nearly 800 members in there now and I guess we before we get to the potion Sonia we should talk about this Lent event that we kind of floated out there uh, last week I had Breege in touch who's an Irish Olympic marathon runner saying that she's mad for the, the Lent event but she's like if I fall off the wagon at all in terms of the treats 
I'm done. I won't be going. I won't be able to compete in the event. Another person got in touch. I can't remember who this was and said, Sonia can't take treats away. We need treats during lockdown. So whatever way you're viewing this, it's going to be a challenge. What what have you figured out as kind of the way to do this? Well, I was trying to work this out and um, it's actually Strava is quite useful for looking back on, you know, what you've done as in how far you've run and how fast you run. Hmm. But there's also a little tool in there that tells you how much hills you've run up and the elevation that you've done. And um, we mentioned this last week and I was been thinking about it and wondering how we could, and I still have to kind of really make a definitive answer of how this is going to work. And we might even get some people to help us out with this. So what I did was I looked back over the weeks to see how much elevation I would typically run in a week mm-hmm. and it varies but sometimes it's more than others depending if you're at a place where there's a, it's a big hilly run on a Sunday then you can really gain a lot of elevation so I'm kind of working out well maybe if everybody can work out what their average elevation is per week and then we can aim to increase that and then have some kind of an elevation leaderboard oh my god this sounds great I, I, I love the sound of this. Yeah, because we, we're going to need to. How do how do we set up an elevation leaderboard? That's the other thing. People who are on Strava will know how to do things like that. Like Aoife Cook is the person who leads the Strava uh, leaderboard. Not that it's competitive. And it has to be said that like it's the least competitive group in <laughs> in the world, this group. But there's someone who knows how to set up a, an elevation leaderboard or to at least view it. Yeah, there so, must be a method of doing it, I think, in there, because you can quite easily go back over your runs and see how much elevation. Like I went back and today I only ran 15 meters above sea. So it was a bit of a flat run today. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I need to work a bit harder. Um, Find your local hills and try and improve each week on week. That's the deal. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll calculate out, you know, maybe... What, what's the most elevation you can do in one run? And this is just normal. This isn't going out there for extremes, you know, running up mountains or, you know, running extra long distances. But just in your normal training week, you know, how much elevation can you do in the week? You don't have to be out there running hills every day, but just adding them up as the week goes on. And then maybe on the weekend, you could maybe find somewhere, you know, where you can, well, we might have to hopefully... Hopefully by Easter, we'll be able to drive places um, in Ireland and in England mm. where you could actually go to a nice park that you know is a hilly park and have a good run. So that would be something to really look forward to, I think. To Yeah, and there's a bit of homework to involved too. Park. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of people like to do flat runs for time. And, you know, you see this a lot with the park runs. The flat park runs are very popular because people always want to run a fast time and run a personal best. But this, there's no pressure on the speed that you're going. It's just about getting out there, getting up the hill and challenging yourself and just looking at things from a different perspective and seeing. And you'll notice that you will get stronger by doing this. Um, you know, hills, they're hard. No matter how fast or slow you run up a hill, it's hard. Mm. Um, I always find that, you know, I mean, the fitter you are and the you know, more efficient you get at running from weeks and weeks of training, you do get better at it. And you, you will notice over time that you do improve running up hills when you when you run up them more. Well, and, you know, not put pressure on yourself. Just go out there and enjoy it and, you know, 
embrace the hill. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I can remember the time when I wasn't embracing the hill. <laughs> I was fully at war with the hill. Uh, so this this will be great. And I do think that when we announce it properly, let's do it. Pancake Tuesday is next Tuesday. That's when uh, the next episode of this show will go out. We'll make the full announcement. We'll have all the kinks worked out. But be prepared that that's going to be the next Irishman running abroad challenge event in aid of jigsaw.ie our chosen charity partner I've raised a few thousand euros now for them my challenge is to run 2000 kilometres within the year it's hard to believe Sonia but I'm nearly at 800 kilometres it's I have no idea how that that's happened <laughs> but that's that's where we it are fantastic. <laughs> it, it is fantastic and then you do look at Eva Cook's account and that training blog that you sent over and you go uh, <laughs> this would be done in this would be done in two weeks if I was either of ye I mentioned Eva Cook a couple of times she's going to be our guest next week Irish marathoner and uh, win, winner of the Dublin City Marathon and many many other races she will be our guest on the show next week can't wait to talk to her she of course knows a thing or two about cross training Sonia uh, you've met her before right I have met Aoife yeah I, I don't think I've ever been for a run with Aoife um, but yeah no she's come down to Cove and um, yeah she trains a lot of the runs that I would run around when I'm back home in Cove and um, I know she also dips in with the um, Ballymore Cove Athletic Clubs with some strength and endurance training and mm. been helping them out um, when when everybody was out and about in the summer but now throughout the winter online as well so um yeah no that should be pretty interesting and hopefully have some tips for the runners out there you know what they can do you know on days that they're not running and we'll also hear about her trip to kenya for a high altitude uh session that she did out there i don't know what is it a session you'd call it it was a, basically a trip out there to train training camp training camp yeah i mean yeah and uh, i think he, she was out there for a good few weeks last this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier. Yeah, um, I'm yeah, dying to know all the about that. I mean, I mean, you've mentioned before the Kenyan attitude to running. I mean, that that fascinates me. And in the research I've been doing, preparing for the, the chat with Aoife, it, it is kind of like when people say it's a way of life. They don't know what that is until they witness the Kenyan way of life when that is your life is running. That's that's who you are. And I guess that does lead in quite nicely to the potions. We finally got to the potions section of the podcast that you you would have. You presented to me last night in in WhatsApp a table full of these little bottles of bits and bobs. And, you know, you hadn't really thought about them until I brought this up. Would you have like a toolkit of this stuff? Is this like a separate wash bag where these things go? Or as we say with the way of life thing, is it just like anybody's above the sink bathroom cupboard that just has these bits and bobs for when you've got a bruise, a bump or a niggler? Well, the the ones I pulled out quickly and took a photo of um, this morning were... Um 
they they were just in one cupboard and um, you know there'd be a few in the car there'd be a few beside the bed <laughs> there'd be a few in another cupboard and yeah there'd be a few in the kitchen as well I, I am so, rubbing yeah. my hands together here at the thought of finding out what these things are and I, I know that I'm not the only listener to this podcast <laughs> thinking the same thing where do we start you mentioned you know the you mentioned Arnica let's let's talk about that first so Arnica is something that I would know through Tina and her working in the Montessori that if a kid bumped his head, you rub a little bit of arnica on it and the bruise goes down. Yeah, arnica is a, it would be a homeopathic medicine. It's a, it's a plant, I believe, a herbal medicine. And I suppose depending, you could get it in a cream or you can get it in a spray or you can get it in an oil. And you can also get little tablets. Um, so depending on where you, where you go in search of these things, you'd be enlightened by whoever is behind the counter and, and you know, what they're going to try and sell you. Um, when would you use it? Like, what would you be using it for if you picked up a bang on your knee or would you use it just if your legs are sore? Oh, Arnica would be one that if I had something that was really bothering me, like I have this arthritis in my foot a bit and so if if I had done a few you know runs over rough terrain and it was a bit sore and niggling me a bit then I'd go hard on the arnica and I would I'd be taking it in the little tablets and I'd be rubbing in the cream and then you know looking for what else can I use Mm. and it's kind of one of those things where when I have something that's sore then I think right how am I going to fix this and I open the cupboard and whatever I see first, I go for. And then I'll, you know, use that up to a certain point. And then I'll try something else if that's not working. Um, maybe something with a bit of uh, tiger balm is always a good one. Um, I like to use that sometimes if my back is a bit stiff. Have you ever come across tiger balm? I, I definitely. That is available everywhere. I mean, I've always seen the little tub of it. It kind of it can either come in a tub as small as a lip balm and I've always just, you know, opened it, smelled it, enjoyed the smell, put it safely back on the shelf and walked away. But what is Tiger Balm? Like, what is that even made of and what's it supposed to do? Yeah, I'm not I'm actually not 100 percent sure what's in it. I think it is like menthol anyway. And, you know, you get deep heat kind of um, smell off of it when you rub it on you, especially in that tiny little jar that you can get. You don't need to rub on so much. And then there's a white one and an orange one. And like, as far as I'm aware, the white one doesn't stain your clothes and the orange one does. <laughs> so okay. I have the white one. Yeah, I'm looking at it orange, here. It's very, the original very, one. it's very cheap as well. I mean, it's next to it's it's pennies. It's like four pounds for a little tub of it. And it's if it's basically a, a deep heat substitute. Is that it? It's probably a variation of, you know, that. DP family, I suppose. Okay. And the magic spray that we've seen years ago. You know, <laughs> I remember going to watch the Cove Ramblers and my dad used to play and then I think he was the he was the medicine uh, you'd go with the medicine bag there at one stage and they'd run out onto the field and open it up and pull out the spray and you know, next thing the player would jump up and do a few <laughs> you know, high knees and they'd be back in the game again. <laughs> so yeah, the magic sponge. Um, so maybe it's the smell of it, I think, can be a positive reinforcement that you're doing something. Mm. Um, and then the heat kind of can create this kind of tingling sensation around the area that you're focusing on. And it can go from hot to cold 
and there's nothing worse than putting it on. And I do this all the time just before you go to bed. And then you can't sleep because you have this hot and cold oh, going on. <laughs> Lord, and I have to bring this up because I found and the thing that I sent to you was the uh, the kind of deep heat herbal remedy, which is called deep heat muscle rescue. And this is the only one of these that I have. Uh, it's neck and shoulder warming cream, essentially, uh, that they call it. And it's made of the plants, whatever plants they use. And. I don't know how I took this notion, but Mikey said he had sore feet one night at a hotel. <laughs> Tina was in washing the air and I said, I'll put a drop of this on your feet. <laughs> and I mean, it was classic Andre Agassi shaving the hair off the child's head. Tina came out of the shower and was like, well, what? What have you done? <laughs> uh, Mikey is holding his feet going, my feet are on fire. <laughs> You're not meant to put it on a child, you fucking idiot jar. And I can remember trying to throw him into the bath to get the stuff off him. Because, Sonny, it is intense. Like, And I only realised it last night because I made the mistake that you made. I put it on the foot just before getting into bed. And it does feel like somebody poured hot water on your foot. But anyway, there's, there's a little bit of my child abuse using these, these creams. They're not to be messed with because... That one in particular, if you use too much of that, I mean, that's counterproductive, right? You really have to use all of these sparingly, right? Oh, yeah, just a very small amount. Like, that's why I have so many of them, because you never get through them, you know. Mm. So then whenever, you, you know, you're always buying something new and different because you have that one already at home. So, yeah, just a very small bit. And then you just kind of, I suppose it's it's a method of doing self-massage, you know, and you know, that you can try and manage the injury yourself at home hmm. um, before you decide, no, I've got to go to the physio here now. But sometimes if you go to the physio, they'll tell you as well to do that. Or, you know, you might be warming up the muscle before you go out to run or to exercise and it'll get the blood flow going. And maybe that's the thing that it does um, is get the blood flow into the area because of the, thing, the tingling. Because, you know, one other thing that someone taught me is really good. Like if you have an injury in a kind of a tight spot, like in your Achilles mm. or in just an area that's hard to really get the blood flow going, is to go and get some nettles. What? And just, <laughs> can you believe that? What's going on? Don't tell me. <laughs> Give yourself a nettle. <laughs> Give yourself an actual sting. nettle sting. Yeah. So to sting <laughs> yourself with the nettles. What? This is a piss takes yeah. on you. This is this is the ice bath all over again. Are you serious? Who told you this? Was yeah, this like I, a hobo I, under a bridge? No, no. We'll, we'll have to look this up now later on. But this is it's definitely a thing. Using nettles to stimulate the blood flow in an injury area. I mean, it makes and, sense. I mean, I mean I, 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 like on paper. But like, who, who would do this? Did you do it? I have run through some nettles. Not with that... <laughs> purpose but <laughs> when I've run through the nettles I've kind of thought oh it's probably good for me anyway it's okay <laughs> but you know when I'm running around Fota Island and there's one section that you have to get through and you just go for it you know <laughs> oh my god it's probably good for me to run through these nettles now come on <laughs> that's that's amazing but it, it's amazing it's a, it's, a, it's a big distraction factor because if you get nettled, any other ache or pain or 
symptom that you have when you're out for a run is gone because yeah. you're so focused on this what's, annoying nettles thing. What's thing. On you? That would that would not be how medicine works. <laughs> you go to the doctor and he hammers your hand with a mallet and goes, "Are you thinking about the pain in your foot anymore?" That's that doesn't make like I hear your reasoning, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's be totally honest. I I, I know I I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The do- if you go- arrive into a doctor's office and the doctor brings out a bag of nettles, get the fuck out of there. That doctor doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, my God. OK, well, we have to get to the emu oil because the emu oil, I was like, ah, no, she's put that down there. That's n- that's not a real thing. It really is a real thing. And it's for blisters. Is that right? Um, well, it's for lots of different things, and it's um, it's actually a I suppose you'd call it the Aboriginal people in Australia would have used it originally, and they, I think they use it for everything. You can take it internally as well, and it's really good for inflammation. So the emus somehow they secrete oil through their skin, and so you can get the emu oil from the emu without killing the emu. Right. They you get. The oil, I don't know how it's done, but I know one time I was doing a little promotion with them in Melbourne years ago. And um, we were down in Burke Street Mall where the trams go through. Mm-hmm. And this fella from the emu company had an emu <laughs> on a lead. <laughs> Not like Rod Hull, like an actual real life emu. It was actual emu and we were standing in the middle of the street and there's trams going back and forth you know and trying to get a picture of me and the emu and a tram in the background <laughs> <laughs> and an emu <laughs> if you ever meet an emu <laughs> you might in australia but <laughs> not likely over there in st Albans. No. No. <laughs> You won't bump into them too regularly. <laughs> Go on. If you ever meet an emu. But ever meet an emu, do you notice that they're very greasy? It's like someone with a really greasy head full of hair. And it's the oil is just coming out and it's in their feathers. And that's what that's what you're and rubbing on your skin. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. well, like, yeah. first of all, can you get this over here and... Is it something that you recommend? Because I feel like we're basically just giving people a shopping list here. Ar- Arnica, Tiger Balm, Bag of Nettles, Emu Oil. <laughs> <laughs> the next one I, I do want to talk about is because we talked about magnesium. But the emu oil, when, yeah. you, when you tell you where you can get the emu oil. Yeah. So I think it's you can get it in, in Europe, um, but it's difficult to get. Yeah, and expensive. Um, I know when I was um, with the Irish Olympics, Big team in 2012, the chef de mission, and I actually got the guys down here to give me a whole bunch of it to bring over because I thought, you know, this could be useful at some point. So you can get the pure emu oil, and it, it is quite expensive to get it, but it lasts a long time. And it's a little bit like um, coconut oil in that if you're in a cold climate, it solidifies. So you then need to work out what kind of container it's going to be in so that you can actually get it out when it's winter time. 
Um, and then in the summertime it melts and it's a lot more liquid. So and, and do the emus not need this oil? Like, it, did, like they're, we're not harming any emus to to make this. Like, I, I just like uh, it's just such a bizarre. I never thought we'd be having this discussion, but it, you know, it's it is still animal friendly, right? I think so. We'll have to do some research on that now, but I'm I'm pretty sure it is. Um, okay. The emu well, seemed happy when, when well. you met the emu. He seemed he seemed cool with it all. Oh, he was fine. He was <laughs> happy to have his photo taken. <laughs> yeah. Trip to the city. So we we mentioned. Magne- I hope we don't have any. Only- yeah, we we could have that. We could be in trouble here. <laughs> yeah. um, we mentioned magnesium last week, and I like I said, I went down a magnesium rabbit hole, and I have been taking magnesium tablets since hearing that it can really help your aches and pains, uh, and even just improve your levels of energy. And then I saw it on in your pile of stuff here, magnesium gel. Is that something you recommend? And is that just something that you rub into sore muscles? Yeah. So one time, for some reason, somebody told me that it would have been a physio or um, somebody who I went to see, chiropractor, osteopath or somebody. And I think I was complaining about getting cramps in my in my calf muscle. Mm. Sometimes you get, you know, you cramps up and then you have to it's not a very nice sensation I said why do I get this and I said I've been eating bananas and I've been drinking electrolytes but I'm still getting this cramps and they said why don't you try some magnesium and they seem to think if you rubbed it in that it somehow got into you quicker than if by ingesting it but I do both and um, you know I mean I suppose I don't I don't know 100% if it works but Mm. I think sometimes when you have something and then you feel like you have a solution to it, maybe mentally you're helping yourself to overcome the issue as well yeah. just by doing something and believing that maybe I need the magnesium now. So I've had that magnesium for ages and I don't use it regularly. But if I have a, you know a few days or nights in a row where I might get a cramp in my calf, then I'll pull out the magnesium gel and rub it in and hopefully and and you don't know by rubbing it in it might be just that motion of rubbing and stretching out the muscle maybe helping it as much as the cream that you're using what the other uh, topical cream that i think has been i guess the most publicized of these kind of things in the last 10 years is Voltarol. and i see a huge tube of I think you call it Voltaren over there but Voltarol gel is you know the kind of go-to muscle ache gel over here is that something that you've used a lot is there anything that isn't in the picture that you sent me that you swore by during your career or are these all new things that have come out since well the anti-inflammatory gel is definitely a new thing and I definitely would never have believed in it in the past. So I think if you're using it on a big muscle area, it's probably not as effective as if you're using it on a smaller muscle area. So I tend to use it on my ankle joint a lot, but I try not to use it too much because I don't want to, you know, get too used to it and then it's not very effective. So I just use it maybe the night before doing a hard training session or a long run and then you know after training session and after a long run but on my easy days I don't bother using it because I kind of think I don't want to become dependent on this I suppose I've kind of heard 
some negative things about it. So people have taught me, oh, be careful with that. Don't use too much of it. Probably a bit like taking anti-inflammatory tablets. Yes. Like you don't want to use too yes. many of those because they're not good for you. So I think maybe similar with the gel. I think it's it's a quick fix and it can definitely reduce the inflammation locally in the area if it's a if it's an area that it can get into quite easily. So a joint, I think it works really well on joints. But yeah, I wouldn't I would try not to become too dependent on it. Mm. And and that's why like tonight I went down to the beach and um, I went for a walk in my bare feet on the on the sand because I now have this thing that I believe that this is something that strengthens my feet up. So if they're a little bit sore during the day just from walking around and doing normal stuff, I find if I walk on the beach or walk in the water that I definitely feel better afterwards. Mm. So again, I think all these things... It's kind of what you believe. And I think if you believe that what you're doing or what you're using to help, you know, I suppose, take away any pain or aches and pains. And we all get these things, overuse injuries, because running is such a repetitive exercise that I think a lot of it is definitely if you believe it works, then there's a good chance that it's going to work more than if you don't believe it works. And I know people, you know, who would laugh at me and say, oh, yeah, no, that, that's just rubbish, that stuff. But I think if you truly believe and you see evidence that it works, then, of course, you're going to stick to it and you're going to try all these different little magic potions and creams that are legal and that you can go down to your local chemist and buy them. Mm, absolutely. Um, the one that I've been using that I know in my head probably does nothing, but probably give myself a better massage with is a, a CBD balm, muscle balm that's available in Holland and Barrett, really cheap and has been has been a godsend in the past little while. So, yeah. So if you know of other ones and you think they should have got a shout out here uh, or if there's something you want to correct us on or anything, if you know more about emus than we do. <laughs> Please do get in touch. Irishman Abroad Podcast at gmail.com is the way to contact us. We'll be back next week with Aoife Cook and uh, more on the Lent event and a couple more of your emails. If you want to ping us in an email, as I said there, to that email address, we'll try and uh, answer a few questions next week. But I'm really looking forward to that Aoife Cook chat and hopefully by next week, my lace induced injury will be gone and everybody will be stocked up on their bits and bobs and potions. Sonia, thank you so much for doing this. It's always a pleasure. Great to talk again. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back up running stronger and uh, yeah, moving in the right direction again next week. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the circuits uh, and workout uh, on the fancy paper will appear on the Strava yep. group uh, later today. Uh, thanks to Brian Connolly for his production, to John Marr for his extra research as always, to Tina and Mikey for putting up with me and making it all possible. And uh, Jigsaw, again, are our chosen charity partner, jigsaw.ie. Head over to idonate.ie to support the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge. And we'll talk to you next week.